This podcast is brought to you by Langley & Benack, a full-service South and Central Texas law firm that delivers the highest quality legal advice coupled with exceptional client service. From our main office in San Antonio, we provide the resources of a national firm while maintaining close ties to the communities in which we practice. To learn more, please visit us at langleybenack.com. That's langleybenack.com or call us at 210-736-6600. Today's episode is part five of a five-part series on family law. This series is hosted by Sharla Davies. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in the Langley and Benack podcast are for information purposes only and should not be considered legal or professional advice for any particular situation. The presentation of this informational content does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you would like to meet with one of our attorneys, please contact us through our website at www.langleybenack.com or call us at 210-736-6600. This is Sharla Davies. I'm a board-certified family law attorney. Uh, I'm a shareholder at the law firm of Langley & Benack. I am coming to you today from Langley & Benack's San Antonio offices. I wanted to discuss the collaborative model that we have started using in our divorce cases. Now, the idea for collaborative law started probably around 1989, somewhere in Minnesota, and evolved over time through various different um, models and methods to, and it's to what we have today. Um, Texas started using the collaborative model in, two, in the year 2000, um, and that, it, that started through the Collaborative Law Institute of Texas. They, they're a group of family law attorneys, um, mental health professionals, uh, as well as financial professionals that um, wanted to find another way for people to divorce. Um, up until then, really the only way we had was through litigation, through um, going to the courthouse, through um, all of all the various issues and all the various activities that come up when you are have if you're having a contested divorce, even an uncontested divorce, requires some time at the courthouse. Um, so, just to kind of give you an idea, um, collaborative law kind of started on its own. It was not part of our family code, and it didn't become a part of the Texas Family Code until 2011 when uh, Governor Perry signed the Uniform Collaborative Family Law Act. Now, that, that effectively codified the rules that we'd already been following anyway, but when you put it into a law, it definitely gives it a lot more um, backing, a, little, a lot more oomph, if you want to use that word, <laughs> that phrase. Um, and so a lot of people want to know, the first thing they want to know is, well, what's, what, what is it? What is collaborative law? Why is it different than you know, going to mediation. Well, it, it, the easiest thing I can explain to you is that it's a way of thinking. 
It's a way of looking at the situation. Traditional litigation, generally, both parties hire attorneys, and the attorneys are strategizing and looking at their position and taking certain positions on things. And, um, you know, there's not a lot of room. There really isn't any room for creativity because we have a family code that sets out certain things, sets out a standard possession order, sets out guideline child support. Um, those things can be rather cut and dry and, um, you don't have a whole lot of wiggle room with those. You have, uh, have to go through a lot um, to get anything different than the standard possession or the guideline support. Um, what collaborative law does, it allows people to get creative with how they dissolve their family in a sense. Um, a lot of people think divorce ends the family. It doesn't end the family, it just changes it. And it looks different than it did before. Instead of everybody living in one home together, mom lives in one house, dad lives in the other house. And the kids travel back and forth between the two. Um, and collaborative law is a great way to take care of your family um, in a creative way, in a thoughtful way. Same goes for the property division. Um, collaborative law lets you, um, again, be more creative with how you take care of dividing um, your assets and liabilities, how you take care of spousal maintenance, if that's something that's, that's necessary. Um, it is, my opinion, collaborative is a great way to get divorced if you have to get divorced. Because divorce is never easy. But in general, I have found my cases that have gone through the collaborative process um, have been very successful. And the people have gone on to live better lives and conflict uh, is avoided. Future conflict is avoided. So let's, let me talk about what, what collaborative law is. Okay, What it looks like when you say... Sharla, I want to hire you and I want to use the collaborative model. So when I have a case that, um, is, that works for the collaborative model, because there's number one, you've got to, you've got to have to fit um, the, the criteria. And one is, well, one that won't work in, in the collaborative model is if there's any kind of abuse, um, any kind of um, mental or emotional abuse between the parties. That's just not, that's not a good fit um, for collaborative. Um, if you have one party that has zero trust in the other, that's not necessarily the best fit. It can work. It takes a lot of effort to make sure that everything has been fully disclosed um, financial, financial wise, but you know, those are the two case, the two situations that I definitely would definitely say, I don't think that collaborative is the way to go. Now, most of the time collaborative is, is, will work if everybody is okay with it. Um, what that means is in order to use the collaborative model, you both parties have to agree that they are going to follow the collaborative model which part of that means you agree to take this out of the court's hands, meaning you agree to work out all of your issues 
and come up with an agreement and there is no option to go to the courthouse. Um, in traditional family law litigation, um, I, I do. I always try to see what can be worked out without having to go to the courthouse, but if it doesn't work out, then you know, you, you set a hearing, you, everybody goes down to the courthouse, or in these days, everybody gets on a Zoom conference, um, and a judge hears both sides, and a judge makes uh, a ruling, makes a determination about what you're going to do with whatever you can agree to, whether it be a possession schedule, child support, or property division. Collaborative takes that um, backup, and, and that, that's how traditionally we use it. That's our backup. When we're in litigation, that's what we do. We, you know, if, if it's clear that there's not going to be a resolution, we just set it for a hearing. It's, you know, that's all there is to it. Collaborative takes a different approach. It, we are, it is a problem solving goal oriented model. And what that means is the focus is, um, looking at what both parties want. What, what are both parties goals at the end of the day? What do they want their life to look like after the divorce has been finished? And so that's definitely a different way to to look at it because each side um, agrees to respect the other side's goals, and um, it's 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 got to be it's it's got to be something that's really at the forefront of of everybody's mind is like why why are we getting divorced? What do we want to have this look like? What do we want a relationship to look like? Um, a lot of times people, you know, in a collaborative setting, will say I don't I don't want us to hate each other. And, you know, that number one, that's the best goal to start with, um, especially if you have children. You want to keep um, a, a decent relationship, and it's going to be a different kind of relationship, naturally, but um, sometimes it can be a better relationship um, going forward. When you start the collaborative process, it uh, if everybody agrees, then each party uh, hires an, their own attorney. So you still hire attorneys. Um, there's no just one attorney and they help us figure it out. Um, the, uh, the, the, the ethics rules that we have don't allow one attorney to represent both parties. Um, so you each get an attorney and then the attorneys get together and start discussing who would be a good fit for, um, the team and who is included in the team. So you have your attorneys, then you have a mental health expert. Now, when I use that term, um, it, it's not as as daunting as it sounds. So it's not someone who's going to do therapy for anybody. It's not someone who's going to evaluate anybody. We use a mental health expert to help facilitate the process. And how, how they do that is they help facilitate the communication. Um, because when we're in a divorce situation, most of the time, um, communication has broken down between the parties. And you'd be surprised at how often um, people want the same things. They just don't realize it because of the way they communicate with each other, the way they hear each other. And so that's what we use um, the mental health expert for. Oftentimes, we'll often we'll use the mental health expert to work offline with the parties to come up with a possession schedule for the, the children. Um, and, and that's one way we can save some time is... Um, mom and dad sit down, figure out what works for both of us, what's going to work for our kids. Um, and they, they come back um, to the table with a good idea 
And, and it also gives them an opportunity to kind of try out different um, possession schedules because, you know, you, you do, number one, what works for you and your family first. Um, and, and sometimes, you you know, it comes, it, it comes, it takes a little time to come up with something that, that feels good for everybody. Then the other part of our team is a financial expert. And they're there for, um, to help with gathering, number one, gathering up all the information, finding out what, what we need to know about the, um, the community estate and what we need to know about what are the debts, what are the, um, the positives, do we have real estate, um, what's the mortgage balance on that if we do, um, do we have retirement accounts, what do those look like? Do we have any kind of pensions with the company that we work for? Um, you know, a variety of things. If we own a business, are there, you know, is there, is there a, a business evaluation that needs to be done so that we can figure out how much this company's worth? Um, whether there's any other appraisals that need to be had. I mean, this is the financial person that comes in and can really help help everybody kind of understand this is what we're working with. This is what we need to know about this. And it kind of helps with the process. Um, so generally, once you have everybody um, on the team and ready to go, you'll schedule um, your first joint session. And the team usually meets. And when I say the team, I'm talking about the attorneys and the mental health professional and the financial professional. They'll meet prior to the first meeting. Um, and go over whatever preliminary things that, that need to be need to be discussed, and then the parties join the meeting immediately after that. And there's always an agenda. Um, the meeting is is scheduled in a two hour blocks because that we found that that's that's a sufficient amount of time, um, especially for the first meeting because the first meeting you're going over. What the collaborative law agreement says because there's it's several pages um, usually you should have gotten a copy of it before your first meeting and to go over any questions that anybody might have and sign off on that agreement and part of that agreement is um, yes we're not going to take this to the courthouse um, if we if we decide that this process doesn't work we understand we're gonna both have to go hire new attorneys and essentially start over um, it's also agreeing to keep everything confidential um, so that whatever, you know, there's no record made of um, the, the meetings. There's minutes taken down, but nothing, it's not, it's not the same as if you're at the courthouse and you're testifying and a court reporter is writing down everything you say. And then it's open for the public to, to, to read or to see. Um, it's, everything's kind of kept confidential and everybody agrees not to talk about it outside of the meetings. Um, outside the, the team. Once that's signed, then, and, and the person that's kind of in charge of these meetings is the, the, um, the mental health expert. This is where they're helping kind of facilitate. So they, they will walk you through each meeting. They'll walk you through the agenda um, and they'll go over uh, the expectations of conduct, um, which are, you know, it's pretty simple. It's, um, we're all going to be respectful of each other and we're going to be thoughtful and we're going to, you know, not use bad words and all, a whole laundry list of things that, um, you know, people generally, that's how we behave. But, but sometimes when we're in these situations, especially divorce, it's, it's emotional. 
it's hard. And so it's, the idea is like, you know, we understand that this is difficult, but everybody's going to be respectful to each other. Um, once they've done that, then they'll go over what we call the roadmap to resolution, which is basically the step-by-step -step process that we're going to follow so that the parties can see where, where we are at any given time. And, you know, everything starts with, you start at the beginning. It's like, what do we have? What, what information do we need? Um, who can get that information? You know, generally if it's, uh, one party has a benefits package through their employer, they're going to provide that information. Um, if there's any you know, bank accounts, things like that, if there's, you know, whatever information you can think of, it runs the gamut from what's our mortgage balance, what, are, what do we owe on credit cards, if we have credit cards, you know, what are our um, savings accounts look like, do we have anything saved for the kids' college? Um, a lot of that is just sort of going through discussing what do we have and what information do we need to get so that we can start putting together what we call, we usually use a spreadsheet that kind of sets out all the pluses and minuses um, regarding the community estate. And the first session is also a time to talk about, um, you know, if generally people are still living in the same residence, um, do we need to do anything on a temporary basis? Because um, you know, we can't get divorced right away, but maybe we can, if we need to put a bandaid on something, um, we, we do it then and we figure, you know, do we need to share money between each other, especially if there's one party that earns a significantly, um, higher salary than the other, or the other may not have been working at all. Um, so we figure out, you know, money, how do we handle that while this is going on? How are bills going to get paid? How are we going to take care of our kids or, um, take care of ourselves. And so that's kind of addressed also initially. Um, and in about, you know, you, you, it goes pretty quickly, but that, that's our first session. And sort of um, once we get down to where we know what we need to do in terms of assignments for everyone, um, we schedule the next few, few sessions so that we've got that time blocked out on our calendars. And um, that's when we're expected to come back and meet again. And so any time between, you know, the first session and the second session, if it hadn't already happened, the mental health provider, if there is a or mental health expert, if there, if there are children, they will meet with the parents, you know, offline outside of our regular meeting to kind of go over ideas about um, different possession schedules um, or any other concerns that, that, that either one of them would have. Um, and as far as the, um, the, the financial expert goes, again, there might be a meeting with a financial expert and one of the parties or both to help make sure that we have a full picture of everything that's in the community estate um, because we want to start gathering that up and um, be efficient when we meet. Um, and again, it's, it's a situation that it, it works because we have a plan in place for how we're going to spend our time. So there will be a new agenda for the next joint session. And that will, again, set out, you know, every, every time we have a session, because we could have a minimum, a minimum of three um, or more sessions, depending on what we have going on, what we need to work through. Um, I have had collaborative cases that have been done in three sessions, maybe even two sessions at one time. Um, there were no children involved. Um, I have had other collaborative uh, cases that have gone on for multiple sessions um, in the sense that they have 
lasted more than a year because there were complicated issues. So when people talk about, well, I have too, I have too many, you know, what kind of case fits collaborative? Well, any kind of case really, aside from any kind of abusive situation or if there's some sort of fraudulent um, stuff going on with the other party, it, 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 it can work. Um, and, and it works because we plan and we go through what we need and we know what we need to do and everybody's on board and these, these sessions keep us moving forward. Whereas in traditional litigation, you might get kind of stuck fighting about discovery, right? Fighting about, you know, I need to get, getting all the documentation and looking through it and making sure you got all the documentation. And then if you didn't get all the documentation, you know, dealing with that, um, this, this, this keeps us moving. Essentially, you use as many sessions as you need to get to the final product, which is a collaborative settlement agreement, um, and then preparing the documents. And when I say documents, what I mean by that is when, when you're done, when you have an agreement as to what you're going to do regarding your property and your children, um, number one, you have to have a final degree of divorce drafted. Um, that's where pretty much everything regarding the kids is going to go. Um, because those things are a matter of public record. Um, the property, generally, it, depending on the estate, the property agreement is going to go into a separate document that's not filed at the courthouse. Um, I find that that's especially if, uh, a good thing if you have any kind of estate whatsoever because it keeps what you have out of the public record. Um, for years, people, you know, who got the house, who got how much from whose retirement, all those things were filed um, in, in, in the public record of the courthouse. And, you know, I don't know that very many people that want to go and dig through that stuff, but, you know, it's available there if somebody wants to go look it up. And so this kind of keeps all of your financial stuff, all your financial information out of the public's um, view, which is a good thing, especially with all of the issues we have today with, you know, identity theft. Talk about a good way to, to steal someone's identity because there's, there's in the past, there was all kinds of information contained in the final decree, you know, bank account numbers, birthdays, everything the works. Um, it's developed over time where that stuff isn't included anymore. So that's a good thing, but the especially good thing is leaving the property out of that. Um, and as far as property goes, Aside from those two documents, if you have, um, say, a piece of property, a house that one party wants to, is going to get, it's going to keep, there's real estate documents that need to be dealt with, um, a special warranty deed, deed of trust to secure assumption. Um, those are documents that need to be executed. Um, same thing with if you've got any kind of 401k with an employer, if one party is going to get all or some of the other parties, um, 401k, you have to file what's called a qualified domestic relations order. That's another piece of paper, another, another document that, that has to be taken care of. So all of the, all of those things are taken care of, um, at one time, which is incredibly efficient and it, it, it just keeps things going the way they're supposed to. Um, that's the next thing that people always ask about, well, how much does it cost? because the idea is it costs less than traditional litigation. And again, it, this is what I tell people, it just depends. It depends on how much you can agree to in the beginning. It depends on how much time you, know, you wanna spend hashing out certain issues. Um, how hard are they? How complex are they? Because there's a variety of, of issues that can come up. 
in in a, in the collaborative model, just as if you were in traditional litigation. And you know, there's always there can be complications with with um, the children maybe have a strained relationship with one parent that we want to work through. Um, that takes time. That doesn't happen overnight. Um, trying out different possession schedules takes a little time getting used to. It's not something that automatically, boom, we're going to do this and, and it's great. It, the, it gives us, you have time to kind of work through that and see how it affects how the children are doing with it. Um, if the kids need any kind of counseling, um, there's an opportunity to bring in a counselor for the kids to kind of help them figure out, you know, what's going on. And then again, you know, if we've got complex um, property issues, um, it, it's something that, that, that takes time. Um, a business, uh, if you've got a business, a business valuation, you know, you have to hire um, a, another financial expert to um, come up with a value of that business. Meaning if we were to sell this business on the market today, what could we expect to be paid for it? Um, and, and that comes into play and in having, having to figure out what, what we have in the estate. And those valuations can take time. It's, um, it depends on, you know, how, how big of a business it is. Um, what are the different parts to it? Because I've had clients with one business, pretty easy to handle, one office. And then I've got clients that have two or three corporations or LLCs and everything is, is in a different place. And so then you have to evaluate all those things and then bring them together to get a total. Um, so again, it's going to depend on, you know, how much work has to be done there. And, you know, that's going to affect the cost. Um, because you're going to have to hire, you know, more people to look at it and it's just going to take more time. Um, I have had, again, cases that I've earned a $5,000 fee and I've had cases where I've earned tens of thousands of dollars because the issues were just complicated. Um, and, and at the end of the day, it's, um, it's, it's, it kind of is what it is. Um, and, and again, I've had cases that have cost way more than they should because the parties weren't able to kind of to, to work really work to a resolution. And I find that, um, you know, the majority, I, I think I've only had one case that didn't make it through the end of the process. And, um, you know, the, the parties, they tried really hard. It just wasn't a case that was going to, that was really going to be able to get resolved um, by agreement. Um, but other than that, I have had great success with my collaborative cases. Um, in general, if I compare um, my traditional litigation to my collaborative practice, I don't have a lot of repeat business when I um, help people through the collaborative model. And, and what I mean by that is a lot of times if you're in litigation, and especially if you go to the courthouse and, and, and a judge makes the decision, most of the time you're going to have one party that's satisfied and the other party that's not. And I find that that is just, um, that's a recipe for, for disaster going forward. Um, because if there is something they don't like about what the judge ruled this is regarding the children, again, this is not uh, regarding property because property's, property's a done deal. But when you have children, you know, the schedule that you have with them, the child support, or all those, all those things are subject to um, modification going forward. Um, so if, you know, situations change, um, people's lives change, they don't stay the same after you get divorced, people remarry, have more kids, um, different things come up, uh, you name it, you're going to have um, people coming back wanting to change 
whatever that order was. So um, collaborative, I think, going through that process, people learn how to work their problems out together, which um, prevents a lot of the, the disagreements uh, regarding the, especially the children sec- the, the children portion of the decree. Um, you, you avoid a lot of that if you've been able to work through those issues already one time, um, you know you can do it again. And so I think that that in and of itself is, is my favorite part about collaborative law. Um, because it's still, it's still tough. It's still divorce. It, 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 it's not, um, it's, it's not everyone sitting about around holding hands. It's, it's definitely, it's hard process, but at the end of the day, uh, especially if you have children, I think that that is the best thing that you can do, um, for yourself and for your kids. So I thank you for taking the time to listen to me today. Um, I want you to be on the lookout for my next episode um, where I'm going to talk about you filed for divorce and now what do you do? So I'm going to kind of explain what the process itself looks like in in the traditional um, litigation model. So I thank you again. Everyone have a great day and stay safe. Thank you for joining us today for the Langley and Benack podcast. Please subscribe to get the latest updates. If you would like to meet with one of our attorneys, please contact us through our website, www.langleybenack.com or call us at 210-736-6600.